This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Zephaniah chapter 1, and we're reading from verses 7 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. On the day of the wrath of the Lord, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. That's an encouraging passage, huh? If you're still looking for Zephaniah, that's page 1001 in your pew Bible. But it is an important book as it points us to the fact that there is a God and that God can be angry. And uh, as we ponder the reality of what that means for us, let's first go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come recognizing our smallness, recognizing the very fact that the breath we have is a gift from you. Lord, we know that we are finite beings. We, we are contingent beings. We, we only exist because of all the, the love that you've given us, the care that you provide. We recognize how desperate we are for you. 
And yet, Lord, we also recognize how prideful and arrogant and sinful we can be. And Lord, we recognize that as we ponder these truths, we should really understand that you and you alone are worthy to be praised. That you and you alone are the one who should receive glory and praise and honor. And how easily, Lord, we give that to the wrong things in life. And Lord, as we look at this book of Zephaniah, as we're reminded and called to account for giving worship to the wrong places, Lord, help us to have eyes to see this morning. Help us to have soft hearts that are moldable. Help us, Lord, to be not just simply sitting and listening, but actually to be doers of the word. And so, God, I pray that you would do your work in us this morning. I pray that you would use my mouth, that, Lord, I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but, God, that I would be faithful to your word. That's my prayer. And I pray that as we leave this place, we would all be changed because you have spoken and we've heard you. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said. I remember as a child, one of the most terrifying days of my young life. I was in the neighborhood hanging out with some buddies, and we were decided we were all going to have a sleepover at one of the guys' houses. We did this pretty, pretty often, especially through the summer. We were busy playing, and we'd gotten pretty late, and then I started to notice something eerie. There, there was a silence that just didn't seem right. There was no birds. There was no, no noise of any kind, and as we kind of stood there for a minute, we saw the sky change color very rapidly. All of a sudden... There was that horrid tornado warning alarm we all love on Saturdays at noon. And it went off. But before we could rush to my friend's basement, we saw a twister coming in the distance. We rushed as fast as we could, and we finally reached his basement. And there we were with his family, hunkered down, waiting for that tornado to pass. Even as I share the story, I can feel the terror of that little boy as I waited for that storm to pass, but I did feel safety as we were gathered in our shelter. See, we see the warning alarms that Zephaniah has been yelling and screaming to the people of Judah. The prophet Zephaniah has been calling them to repent. The northern tribe called Israel has already been taken off into exile because of their wrong worship, because of what we call idolatry. And God used a, a, another nation to overrun them and take them into captivity known as exile. And this happened in the year 722 by the Assyrians. But now Zephaniah and some other prophets, specifically Jeremiah, are preaching to the southern tribe and they're calling this tribe to repent to return to God, to do this before it's too late, before God sends another foreign nation to punish his people, Judah, just as he had done to Israel. You can almost see the scene, right? It's that comical picture of a prophet wearing a sandwich board that says something like this, repent for the judgment of the Lord is coming and everyone mocks. We begin to scratch our heads and think, is it really penetrating anyone by doing that, by screaming out, by, by saying that, that the judgment of the Lord is coming? Does it really change anything? Well, I want you to see what Zephaniah's message consisted of. 
I want your eyes to turn to the seventh verse of the first chapter. And I want you to read with me out loud just the first line. Ready? Be silent before the Lord God. Be silent. And notice this is not a suggestion. This is not God saying, if you feel like it, if you don't. This is the prophet saying, Aaron word, shut up. Be silent. This is a call, an outright demand for submission to the sovereign one. That's what this is. I have a mentor in my life, and the mentor always reminds me that submission isn't submission until you disagree. That's when submission is actually applied. And that's what the prophet Zephaniah was calling for the people of Judah to do, to submit, even though they may disagree, to submit to the sovereign Lord. Stop your pleading. Stop your demanding. Submit to the Lord. Recognize his justice is always right. And specifically in this case, as Jeremiah the prophet is preaching, he's telling them their sin deserves punishment so they should repent. After all, isn't that what Romans 6.23 reminds all of us this morning? For the wage of sin is death. That's what we deserve for our sin, death. And that is exactly what Zephaniah begins to tell them is about to happen. Judgment. He uses a phrase. The phrase is the day of the Lord. The phrase day of the Lord is actually mentioned some 17 times in three chapters. I think Zephaniah is saying the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He's saying it so many times. He's saying pay attention, shut up, listen, submit. The day of the Lord is coming. Well, what is it, this day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is when the king, the, the divine warrior of Scripture, would gloriously conquer all of his enemies. And right now, his people, Judah, are on his enemy list. And so therefore, the prophet is saying, submit. Submit first by shutting up. Submit by recognizing your sin. The submission is going to be seen. This, this, this submission is going to happen either way because the day of the Lord is coming. And notice the phrase he uses, the Lord has prepared his sacrifice. And, and you know in this text what is being alluded to is that Judah will be the sacrifice. <laughs> Judah will be the one that ultimately will pay for their sins if they don't repent. And that's a heavy thing. Because they're so busy defending themselves, they're not actually hearing the fact that, that they're going to be in trouble here. They're actually going to be turned into a sweet-smelling aroma because they're going to be sacrificed to the Lord. Judgment is coming, and, and Judah, you're going to be the sacrifice. And, then, and there's interesting language here. He talks about consecrate, consecrated guests. And you begin to scratch your head and go, well, who is that? Well, we know from the message of, Je of Zephaniah and Jeremiah that that consecrated guest is going to be Gentiles. Specifically, the Gentile nation here that God is going to use to punish his people. They're invited guests. 
and they're consecrated. And that's a big deal in this text because if you know anything about the Bible, the Jews were viewed as being clean because of all their laws and all their washings and the way they ate and how they conducted themselves. And the Gentiles, they were filthy, dirty animals, right? You get the point? And that's the distinction between the two. But here, the Gentiles are going to be the consecrated guests. They're going to be the ones who are declared holy or set apart. And you begin to scratch your head. How is this possible? Well, what's really going to happen is they're going to be set apart for holy use. This isn't the first time God has done this. God does this a lot, specifically in relation to his worship. And we see this exactly in the book of Numbers, chapter 7, verse 1, where Moses is doing something. Listen. On that day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that's the place of worship, and had anointed and consecrated it with all of its furnishings, and he had anointed and consecrated the altar with all of its utensils. Notice the word consecrate. He's, he set it apart for holy use. He's taken common everyday things. What made the altar? Gold, bronze, right? He, he used common day everything, and, and they were set apart for the worship of God, the bronze and altar. Or you look at the, the idea of the utensils, and these utensils were taken and set apart for special use for the worship of God. That's how the Gentile nations were going to be used by God for, for worship as he brought his people back into submission so that they would start understanding their need to submit to the one who's truly sovereign. So the people of Judah needed to stop arguing with the Lord. They needed to stop contending with the Lord. You know, it's in the book of Jeremiah, that other prophet that is a contemporary of Zephaniah, that we see what the people were arguing God with. Every time Jeremiah would go and call them out for their sin, they would respond and plead their case using these words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And basically saying, we have the temple. God would never destroy us. We're too important. We're too special. Yeah, the northern tribe, of course they went into exile. They didn't even come down to Jerusalem to worship. They were bad people. But us, we have the temple of the Lord. We're good. Jeremiah just says, you don't understand. Zephaniah says, you don't get it. You need to shut up and submit. The day of the Lord is near. Look at verse 7. It's near. The axe is, is right there at the, at, the, at the tree. You need to shut up and submit. How crazy it is that they're faced with the impending storm of the Lord and they continue to argue against the wind of God's judgment. Friends, how do we do this? How does this manifest itself in your life? How do you contend with God? How do you, how do you begin to wrestle God as to tell him you're special, you're unique? He needs you. He needs to do things your way. We begin to contend with God to tell God, this is how it should be done. This is how my life is supposed to go. And all along, we, we miss the fact that we're not truly living the way God would have us live. We're not truly being what we were supposed to be, which is worshipers of a living and true God. We're, we're filled with self-worship. We're filled with the worship of the things in this world 
And God says, shut up and submit before it's too late. And see, then in verses 8 through 13, he begins to give a view of the punishment that's coming. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's pretty heavy. And as this text goes, it just gets heavier because they won't listen. As God continues to give the message, they just continue to talk louder. But I want you to hear the words of the description of the judgment that's coming. Now notice the phrase, on the day of the Lord. That's a day of judgment. That's a a day when God will defeat his enemies. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. See, there's no longer covenantal fidelity to God. They're no longer keeping their vows of living distinct and, and unique lives for the Lord. Now they're trying to live and look like the world. And you can see it even the way they they dress. And specifically here, he's talking to the officials and the king's sons, those who are supposed to set an example for the rest of the, the people. But rather than looking like covenant people, they look more like the world. Friends, how much is this true in our lives? That we're guided more by what the world thinks than what God says. And so God continues, On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Now here, he's turned from the officials and the king's sons to specifically the religious focus, the religious leaders. He's talking about the very fact that that they're beginning to implement in their everyday lives pagan worship practices, which included leaping over the threshold as though it was bad luck to step on the threshold. And so they did this in their homes, and they started to live this this false narrative. We get that from places like 1 Samuel chapter 5, if you're a note taker. as As you begin to see this, you see that the people who were supposed to be special unto God are living like the pagans of the world. And that's not all. They're filling their master's house. That's the temple with violence and fraud. They're cheating their neighbor. They're doing violence to one another. Friends, how much are we concerned with the wrong things? We're concerned with ourselves. We're concerned with our our perspective, our our sense of of self-pride, rather than truly understanding that everything we have is from God and we should be committed to him and his glory. And our practice of religion should be about God rather than ourselves. And yet again, the Lord speaks yet to a different group. Look at verse 10. On that day, a cry will be heard. And he talks about it from the fish gate, a wail from the, uh, from the, from the second quarter. That's not a fish. That's a, it's a crying or a weeping out. A loud crash from the hills. And notice all the noise that this day is going to cause. It's going to be from one extent, one place, like the fish gate, to the second quarter, to the hills. It's going to cover everything. The day of judgment will cover all of Jerusalem. It will cover all types of people. But specifically, he starts to aim in on the market. He uses this example in verse 11. He says, Whale, O inhabitants of Modar. He talks about the, the traders who are no more. He talks about the the weight of the silver will be cut off. He's talking about their their wicked, deceptive activities 
will be stopped. He's talking about consumerism. And then we're told in verse 12, at this time, he will take a light and he will search. I don't know about you, but if you looked under my couch at home, I'd probably be embarrassed. (laughs) If you looked in my Jeep, I would be really embarrassed. Right? We, We have crevices in places where just junk just falls. The same is true in our life. I want to scare you for a moment with something you need to be scared about. God sees every crevice. Nothing is hidden from the sight of God. This picture of him taking a light is that he is exposing everything. There's no fooling God in any respect. You know what's so scary about that? That means there's no place of safety to hide from God. The prophet Jonah learned that personally, didn't he? He tried to hide from God, and and God sent a storm, and God sent a big fish, and God sent a little plant, and you can read all about that, but God did all those things to get his attention. There's no place of safety to hide from the Lord. Here's the point of all this. The prophet was preaching specifically to the political people, to the religious people, to the commercial people, saying, your complacency is the problem. Look at verse 12, the very end. I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. It doesn't matter. God doesn't really care how we live if there's a God at all. These people were supposed to be special to the Lord. These people were supposed to be living for him. And guess what? They were busy living just for themselves. They lived as though God was in a distance. God was distracted. God was inactive. They lived as though God was apathetic to them. They lived as deists. Deism was a big deal in in like the 1800s, in the late 1700s. It's it's the idea that God created everything, but he just kind of let it go. And we're seeing people in churches start to kind of take that posture again. Guess what? It's not unique. It's the same thing that we see in Zephaniah. Complacency. God doesn't really care. Does God really care? How often we hear that even in our conversations with other people. God doesn't care. Friends, Zephaniah is here to say God cares. And he sees and he's watching. And he's taking notice. And he goes on to talk about the effects of the judgment. And listen to the words. Devastation, destruction is described for Judah. Verse 13. For their goods will be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. And though they plant vineyards, they shall never drink the wine in them. See, others are going to enjoy the fruit of their labor because of their sin, their breaking of the covenant. And interesting enough, this idea of covenant is the very book that King Josiah finds, the book of Deuteronomy, where he's reading about blessings and cursings, that he has a pierced heart and he wants to change the nation, and he begins to call for reform. It's during that period that Zephaniah is preaching that the book is found and the reforms begin. You can read about those in Deuteronomy 28. Again, if you're a note-taker, you can read about the, the blessings and the cursings of breaking the covenant. But let me summarize that for you in Deuteronomy 11. On the screen, you'll see these verses, verses 26 through 28. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. 
and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Friends, notice this, this blessing and this cursing language. And I want you to know who God is talking to there. He's talking to his covenant people, the people that he redeemed out of Egypt. The people that were in slavery, the picture of sin in, in slavery and the freedom they experienced. And now he's telling them, as his covenant people, if you do what you're supposed to do, I'll bless you. You're going to have houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and you're going to enjoy all that. But if you don't obey me, judgment, curse, discipline. See, interesting, back to that same book, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 11, God actually told them he would give them houses they wouldn't build, that they would enjoy vineyards that they did not plant. But now their houses that they have worked for with their own hands will be taken from them. The vineyards that they sweated over will be enjoyed by someone else because of their disobedience. Rather than blessing, they're going to experience cursing. This is the message that Zephaniah gives. See, sin always leaves us with less than we thought. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. That, that's the message that Zephaniah wants them to hear. And as believers, we need to understand that sin affects us too. That, that ultimately, we're missing out on the enjoyment of the blessing of God because we're not truly walking with him. We're living apathetic lives. And so as a good father, guess what? He disciplines us. That's what a good father does. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That's an important preface to what else he writes. The problem is you're not battling your sin. And so guess what? God's going to discipline you. That's what he says. Verse 5, as you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Be not weary in those whom he reproves. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. There's a consequence for disobeying. And that's hard. It's hard for us to wrestle with. It's hard for us to grasp. But it's clear. And that's exactly what Zephaniah is saying to the covenant people of Judah. And yet, the message goes yet further beyond Judah. Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries out there. He talks about the judgment quickly approaching. He mentioned it in verse 7. Now here he mentions it a second time in verse 14. It's coming quickly. Be ready. He then goes on to talk about the awful and bitter experience of this when he talks about the mighty warrior who cries out. No matter who you are, how powerful you think you are, the judgment of the Lord is more powerful than you. The enemy of the Lord will be brought to his knees. God and God alone possesses the power to subdue not some, not most, but all of his enemies. And then we get to some really harsh language in verses 15 and 16. He says, the day of wrath, the day of distress the day of anguish, the day of ruin, the day of devastation, the day of darkness, the day of gloom, the day of thick clouds and thick darkness, the day of trumpet blasts, the day of battle cries. 
And notice these words that are used here. They're describing God's power and his might. It pictures the people there at Sinai as they stand before the place where Moses would receive the law of God. And it says, and the people in the camp trembled with fear. But we're asking this question, who is this judgment for? It's not just simply for Judah, but it's for all mankind. Look at verse 17. I will bring distress on all mankind. No one escapes the wrath of God. This judgment will be full. It will be sudden, verse 18. They shall walk like the blind, verse 17. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, verse 17. Neither their silver or gold will be able to deliver them, verse 18. None of their resources, the mighty man, nor their gold or silver can save them. Well, then who can? Because see, this judgment is coming. And the question may be asked, why? Look at the back half of verse 18. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. There is one God and one God alone to be worshipped. And friends, he is a jealous God who will not allow his worship to be given to another. The prophet's warning is for all people. Their need to worship the living and true God. As we hear this, we realize the prophet has brought terrifying news. We've heard the command to be silent. We've seen that God's judgments are just because they're sinners. And God's justice will reach the corrupt leaders. He will reach the religious. He will reach those who are her money makers. But ultimately, his justice will cover the earth. No one will escape. If this is all we had, if this is all the book shared, we would be in great peril. But there is hope. In verse 7, it's hinted to when it talks about the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. Yes, Judah could be the sacrifice if they unrepent, or the promised one will be their sacrifice. Isn't that what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1 when he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or how about Paul writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God has sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those who are under the law. See, in Zephaniah 1.8, he actually says, I will punish the king's sons. But God actually provides his own son to be punished. Friends, isn't that what we learn from John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish. See, we must receive this son by faith. We must trust in him, who he is and what he has done. We must admit our sin, not justifying ourselves. We must stop that. We must be silent to that. That's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that in proper time God may exalt you. Or how about 2, Peter, or 2 Corinthians 7? Paul writes these words. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Godly grief. It's the idea of not trying to defend ourselves, but to own up to our sin. But it's also about admitting who Jesus is. It's about crying out to him. That's why Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 
See, the point is this. It's a call for silence in regard to defending ourselves. It's a call for praise in acknowledging Jesus. The bottom line is this. Judah would either be sacrificed because it tried to defend itself, or it would be saved if it was found to be trusting in God's provision. And God's provision is his son. And the same message is true for you today. If you're not resting in Christ, you will be judged on your own. Friends, the coming destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in Zephaniah's day points to a much greater day of judgment that is yet to come. A day when every human being will have to give account to their maker. According to Zephaniah, the day is coming and everyone everywhere will give an account. Listen to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great throne, a white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what he has done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, while the people in our society may disagree about exactly what should be counted as evil, There is a universal desire amongst almost all people for justice. There's a desire to see justice. And in the end, understand this, it is God and God alone who will dispense justice. Therefore, it is God and God alone who upon his definitions of what is evil will be what justice and how justice is served. We need to get right with God. And see, that's exactly what Zephaniah was trying to say. But let me simply say this. Zephaniah was not simply writing to condemn the hearers for their sins. He wasn't taking pleasure in telling people this bad news. No, rather, Zephaniah was urging them to flee from the wrath to come. He was urging them to find the safety from the storm while there was still time. Just like the tornado warning, the prophet's message of danger wasn't designed simply to terrify its hearers but rather to save their lives. It was a call to seek shelter where shelter has been provided, and God has provided that shelter in his son. May we run to his son while the opportunity exists. The psalmist wrote about this. Psalm 91, verse 1, and I'll close with this. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's in the shelter of the Most High where we are saved. But we must find our safety there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, do your perfect work in us. Lord, I recognize for some of us, this is the first time we're hearing this message. We're stumbling over such a a powerful message of words that describe destruction when our whole interpretation of you was 
Simply, God is friendly and God is love. And while those things are true, it's ultimately about loving you the way you want to be loved because you are God. We have to meet on your terms. And your terms, Lord, is through your Son. Lord, help us to stop justifying ourselves. Help us to flee to the Word of God which teaches us who Jesus is, how He is our shelter, and may we find our security in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.